Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. It's been estimated that there are approximately 5 million stray cows in the country of India. Not cats, cows. And those stray cows roam the streets while 20% of the nation of India is struggling to find food. And it's ironic that 5 million stray cows are walking around, but yet there's 20% of their population struggles to find food. And you may find yourself asking, well, then why don't they just kill the cows and eat them? Well, if you know anything about the Hindu religion, the cow is held pretty sacred. Matter of fact, that's where we get the phrase sacred cow from. Anything that you hold as a sacred cow is one of those things that doesn't quite make sense. And so the the idea of a sacred cow in India is is that perhaps it could be a reincarnation of your aunt or your mother. So that's why we don't kill the cows, and that's why they don't do that for food. But who knows? uh, There's some strange things in the world that we don't fully understand, and that's one thing that, that they have. But perhaps somewhere in the middle of India... There's a village where they're standing there saying, you're never going to believe this. In the United States, these people walk around with a device in their pockets that they have to check at least 10 minutes on average a day. And they'll pull it out and check it even if it hasn't rung. They'll just want to look at it just because there's like a phantom ringing and they just have to keep checking it. And so as you see the idea of a sacred cow, at first we see an object like that and 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 a system of thinking like that and we're like, that's crazy. Why would anyone do that? Well, perhaps they're sitting there this morning asking the same question of us. And perhaps when you read things in the Bible and you you don't understand them and you're like, that seems like the craziest idea ever. That there are some things listed, especially in the Old Testament, that people come away with and they just think that's an outlandish story that could never be true. And not only could it not be true, it certainly doesn't apply to me. Well, I want to encourage you today to just hang with us for a few minutes because you're going to hear an outlandish story in just a moment an account of one of the wisest people ever to live. But it's also one of those things that we can learn something from. And so just like there's these sacred cows in India, and at first glance we think this is ridiculous, there's also some things in our lives that might be ridiculous as well. If you were not here last week, we began a series called Dysfunctional Families where we looked at dysfunctional families from the Bible. And last week's dysfunctional family is really a descendant of the original dysfunctional family, which was Adam and Eve. And the one thing that we all have in common... No matter how good you think you are, no matter how great your family is, is that we are all dysfunctional. And as I said last week, if you think your family's not dysfunctional, you're probably the dysfunction. And so today, as we look at this dysfunctional family, keep in mind that the original dysfunctional family of Adam and Eve started. They had some kids who had some kids who had some kids who had a guy named Abraham. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, and the one we talked about last week was Joseph. Isaac, or Jacob had another dysfunctional son named Judah, and Judah had a bunch of kids who had a bunch of kids who had a bunch of kids who had a bunch of kids and had a guy named David, and David killed Goliath, and then Goliath uh, was dead, obviously, but David went on to uh, quite a few military exploits, became king of Israel, and David had a problem. He saw a lady named Bathsheba and decided that he wanted her as his wife, and so he forced her to come and sleep with her, and then had her, her husband killed. And so the man after God's own heart is not certainly living up to that phrase, at least at that moment. But he goes on to redeem himself, so, so to speak. One of the kids that David and Bathsheba had was a guy named Solomon. 
And Solomon is credited with being one of the wisest people ever to live. Not just in the Bible, but even extra-biblical scholars would say that Solomon is incredibly wise. He led the nation of Israel to some of its greatest exploits and some of the largest land that it ever owned. He decided things and, and understood uh, concepts in a way that we, we still struggle to understand how they accomplished some of the great things that they did. But there was a problem, there was an idol in Solomon's life that ultimately caused his downfall and the downfall of a nation and really the downfall of a people. And if we're not careful, there's things in our lives that will destroy our families. But even more than just destroying our families, it'll mess up our relationship with God. And so the second component we're going to talk about today of dysfunctional families is dysfunction comes when we let idols take control. Now, you may find yourself sitting there today saying, I really don't have an idol. I really don't have anything that's that important in my life. And I can tell you one thing, you do. There is probably something in your life. By definition, an idol is a person, a thing, an object that's admired above all or put above others. Another way to think of an idol is the worship of something other than God as if it were God. And so Solomon, the wisest person ever to live, has this incredible wisdom. He amasses this great amount of money and wealth and silver and gold. So much so that kings and queens from around the world come to ask Solomon what they should do and how they should rule. And we pick up the account of Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 11. If you don't have your Bibles, there's one in front of you. That's our gift to you. There's also one on the screen behind me. But we'll be in 1 Kings. It's about a quarter of the way through your Bible, starting from the beginning. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings. And so if you turn over there, we'll pick it up. The one other thing we need to understand about accounts in the Bible like today or really anything that you don't understand, when we look at people, God only has one option, and that's broken people. There's not a perfect version of you in an alternate reality that God could use. And so when we look at Solomon and we're like, what in the world is this guy thinking? Keep in mind that God only has broken people to work with. He only has a broken version of you to work with. And if our lives were spread across the pages of Scripture like Solomon is, most of us would hide. Because Solomon's life is laid bare today for us to look at and hopefully learn from and I hope that you'll come to understand that dysfunction comes in our families when we let idols take control. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1 says, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will turn your heart after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as David his father had been. He followed Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. And so Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Shemash, the detestable god of Moab, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their God. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord and the God of Israel who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. And so the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude, 
and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded to you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of your hand of your son, yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David my servant, for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So we read this account in 1 Kings chapter 11, and we note from the very beginning that Solomon loved ladies. He not only loved ladies, he loved a lot of ladies. And at first reading, you're like, wait a minute, 700 wives, 300 concubines, what on earth was the wisest man in the world thinking? We find out from the beginning in verse 1 that Solomon was originally married to Pharaoh's daughter of Egypt, and we, we recognize that he probably started this as a, as a political idea, right? If he could align himself with the nations that were close to Israel, he stood to benefit in some tremendous ways. And so as you look at all those names of people that are hard to pronounce, those are all people from the area that's surrounding where Israel currently is. And Solomon started by marrying Pharaoh's daughter. He started by marrying Pharaoh's daughter, and then he married the next one, and the next one, and the next one. And we find out that the Lord had told him that you shouldn't marry from those because they will change your heart. You see, with anything in your life, it all starts with your heart. And matter of fact, that's what it says in verse 2. God told him, don't marry these people because they will change your heart or turn your heart after their God. One wife is a good thing. 700 becomes a problem for a variety of reasons that we'll get into in a moment. If you weren't here in July, I would encourage you, Bo did an incredible message on the good things of, of God, that God gives us good things to enjoy, that there's nothing wrong with enjoying good things. But when those start, good things start to turn our hearts, that's when it becomes the problem. And that's what happened with Solomon. And so Bo had shared that there's good things that we can enjoy, and, and Solomon had apparently enjoyed it a lot, and he kept on going, but the problem was that it changed his heart. Now, if you know anything about Solomon, Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. Solomon wrote uh, portions, uh, or Ecclesiastes. He wrote Song of Solomon. He wrote some other things as well. And Solomon was really, really wise. The unfortunate part is Solomon wrote this verse, Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for everything that you do flows from it. That doesn't, just because Solomon didn't follow his advice doesn't make his advice any less beneficial. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Your family, your friends, your job, your activities, your hobbies, everything you do. And so Solomon knew to, to guard his heart. He just chose not to do it in this one particular area. If you look at the downfall of Solomon's family, if you look at the downfall of your own family, you'll usually come to find that there's something that becomes more important than anything else because it grabs the attention of your heart. Not the physical muscle that's beating inside your chest, but it grabs the attention of all that you are. And then it fractures everything else. This doesn't matter if you're a Christian or non-Christian. It doesn't matter who you are. You can watch the downfall of people when some person or object or thing becomes the most important thing in their life. Everything else suffers. And particularly with idols, the shrapnel of our idols blows out and hits every single person in our family. And that's what happened with Solomon. And that's what will happen with us, too, if we're not careful. If you weren't here in July, Wes did an incredible job walking through the book of Proverbs. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. Because the ladies in Solomon's life changed how he lived. Plain and simple. For the first 10 to 20 years of Solomon's reign as king, he was the most powerful person on the planet. 
And he was following God and doing what God wanted him to do. But over time, these ladies led his heart astray, which changed the way that he lived. If you were here in July, Rob gave an incredible message on how to live in a way that honors God. I'd encourage you to check that out as well. It says in verse 2, it says, Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love, or more likely lust. He probably didn't love them as much as we would think. I'm no Hebrew scholar, but the word there for love is, is typically tied to a romantic kind of love. And so we find out that Solomon loves many women. He's held fast to them. And the idea of holding fast to them is that he gave them permission to change his mind. That he worked in such a way that they had a, a say-so or a control. And the first thing you need to know about idols today is that idols steal love and attention away from what's most important. Idols steal love and attention away from what's most important. We may not have 700 wives today, but we have 700 things vying for our attention and our affection, trying to lead us astray from whatever God would have for us. I asked the office staff to bring items and things in their lives over the past week just that would represent things that we all struggle with, Right? fame and fortune and prestige and family and games and activities and time and all of those things. There's 700 things vying for your attention right now. They want to be the number one thing in your life. And some of them are good things, that there's nothing inherently wrong with necessarily anything that's on the stage behind me. But when you put those as number one, when they capture your heart, they lead you down a road that's going to, that is going to ripple throughout your family and throughout the people that you're closest to. And so the first thing idols do is they steal love and attention from what's most important. It says in verse 3 of 1 Kings 11, he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord as David his father had been. Now, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Uh, the most PC version I can give you of a concubine is a friend with benefits, side chick, whatever you want to think of. So he had 700 wives that most likely was due to a political alliance so that he would have more influence in the area. And then he had 300 ladies on the side that were for one purpose only, which may sound great for a moment until you stop to think about the consequences of that. Gentlemen, do you know how hard it is to keep one wife happy? times 700. His to-do list never ended. And we'll see that in just a moment. And so as you think through Solomon, the wisest man ever to live, he struggles with this one particular idol, and you may find yourself laughing like, that's funny, I would never do that. Check yourself, because you might, and I might. If we're not careful, we'll find ourselves following things that just seem absolutely ludicrous. He was led astray, it says, that they led him astray, and as he grew old, his wives turned his hearts after other gods, and he was not fully devoted to the Lord. The other thing you need to know is not only do idols steal love and attention from what's most important, Solomon should have been focused on God and the one wife that he started with. So he took attention from what's most important, but the second thing you need to know, and many of you probably already understand this, is that idols always overpromise and underdeliver. Idols always overpromise and underdeliver. I'm sure at wife five, he thought, this is a great idea. What's the harm in six? Or 200? Or 400? Or 700? 
And you play that out long enough, it happens in our own life as well. The next best car, the next best house, the next best relationship, the next best marriage, the next best career, whatever it might be. We are always in the business of thinking that somehow things or people are going to satisfy something that only God can satisfy. And so idols always overpromise, but they always underdeliver as well. Think about this. When you were a kid, you wanted to be a teenager. And then you became a teenager and you wanted to become a young adult. And when you were a young adult, you wanted to have money and, and security, and so you wanted to be a, a, an older adult. And now if you ask every older adult, they want to be a kid again. They want to go back to recess where life was easy. And so idols, whatever it might be, it might be time, it might be prestige, it might be success, it might be something that's behind me on stage, whatever it is, it is always going to overpromise and underdeliver in your life. And that's what happened with Solomon. 700 wives, 300 concubines, and over time, that did not play out like he thought it would because they led him astray. It also says that they led him astray like father, his father David. Just a quick note on that, that his father David is listed as a man who was after God's own heart. But yet also, he slept with Bathsheba and had Uriah killed. And so how do you deal with that? Keep in mind that David eventually repented of what he had done wrong. Solomon, we don't have any direct notification that he ever quite figured it out. There's some notes in Ecclesiastes that you think that maybe he did get the, the rough idea, but he never came out in repentance like David his father did. And not only did David have a one or two time problem, Solomon chose to do this over the course of his life, which leads me to the next thing that idols do, which is they change our dependency. Up until this time, Solomon was the king of Israel. Everything had been going well. They were richer than they'd ever been before. They were bigger than they had ever been before. Everything was going right in Solomon's life until he started marrying wife after wife after wife after wife. They led his heart astray, and suddenly things started to crumble because he no longer depended upon God. He depended upon himself. If you look in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 5, it says, He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. And so Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord because he didn't follow the Lord completely as David his father did. You're, it's not if you make mistakes, we all make mistakes. And God has no perfect people to work with. And so since we're broken people and since we're going to make mistakes, that's why it's so important to live in repentance and to live in a, in a posture of understanding that we're not always going to get it right. Solomon didn't do that. He didn't follow the Lord completely as David, his father, did. He started to worship Ashtoreth, which was the goddess of sex for the Sidonians. He started worshiping Molech, which was involved in child sacrifice and a whole host of other crazy things. And he certainly made some mistakes. But Solomon blatantly and repeatedly went against what God wanted. When the people of Israel wanted a king, Moses told them there's three things your king cannot have. Deuteronomy chapter 17 lists these out. He said they can't have a lot of wives, they can't have a lot of money as far as masses of gold and silver, and they can't have a number of horses. Solomon did all three. He had a lot of wives, he had storehouses of money, and he had four cities that were designed to do nothing but hold the chariots for his horses. So it wasn't just that he just made one mistake, like, oops, married wife number 455. It was a pattern that happened over and over and over again because his heart was changed. 
And that's something that takes time. And over time, the things that we hold as the most important thing in our life, they will change our hearts if we're not careful. You see, the biggest problem of all for Solomon was not that he abandoned the Lord completely, because we never have record that he did that. But he did something that we're all probably guilty of. And that is, is that it was, I want God, but I might need this too. I want Jesus, but I might need alcohol. I want Jesus, but I might need a better career. I want Jesus, but I want a better family. I want Jesus, and so we want to take God and add to whatever else we can, and that's what Solomon did. He was content to follow God. Like you and I may be content to follow God when it's convenient or when it's helpful. But where he went wrong and where we go wrong is where we think that we just got to add extra stuff to it. In verse 7, it says, On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a place for Shamash, the detestable god of Moab, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifice to his god. The next thing that idols do is they lead us to chase things that don't really matter. It says, On a hill east of Jerusalem, he went up and set up these things. Solomon could have never done that in Jerusalem because the people would have revolted. So he goes out and he spends his time doing this, right? I am shamefully bad at accomplishing the to-do list for one wife. And he has 700 wives asking him, and he builds them all a temple so that they, or a pole or a whatever so that they can worship the God that they want. And so while he should have been being a king and doing whatever kings normally do, he's spending his time outside the city, spending his time trying to keep all these ladies happy, and he finds himself literally exhausted and finds himself doing what he shouldn't do because idols lead us to chase things that don't really matter. He's trying to keep everybody happy. Our entire culture is content to chase whatever tries to make us happy today. And tomorrow it'll be something else. And the next day, it'll be something entirely different. It makes you think of Jesus' words when he said, what would it gain a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? And as a culture, we are wrapped up in one after another, after another, after another of things and time and money and however busy we can look so that we can put it on Instagram and show it to our friends of, look what I did this week or look what I did last week or whatever it might be. Now, if you find yourself at this point feeling really beat up, like, man, he is harsh today. Keep in mind, I had to tell myself all this first. But number two, you miss out on something really, really important. If you were not here last week, go back and listen to what we talked about in regards to forgiveness. And Solomon, at any time, could have stopped this whole charade and said, God, forgive me. You and I can stop at any time and say, God, forgive us, and he will forgive you. And you can start over. And so if the things in your life, if priorities have gotten a little out of hand, if suddenly you spend more time at the golf course than you do with your family, if you spend more time at work than you do with, than you should, if you spend more time chasing money or or the, the girl in the other office or whatever it is, you can stop today. Take a deep breath right now and be done with all of it. And so idols lead us to change things that don't, chase things that don't really matter But God brings it back to one thing that's really important that I would love for us all to consider today. In verse 9, it says, The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who he appeared to twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. And so the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude and you've not kept my covenant and my decrees, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you. 
It's interesting that God doesn't go after the things that he had prescribed already. He doesn't blast Solomon for, not ha- for having too many horses, or he doesn't even say anything about the wives. What's he say? Verse 9. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart. It all starts with your heart, and it all starts really small. A good thing could be in your life that one day could cause the undoing of you and your family, which should scare us, but also give us great hope that when our heart is in the right place, we don't need to worry about that. When we're seeking after God like we're called to, we don't have to worry about those things. And so Solomon is, the Lord takes him to task on his heart that had turned away from him, even though he'd appeared to him twice. The other thing, if you remember from the series that we did in Jonah in June, is don't mistake God's allowance of you to do something as approval. You know Solomon's sitting there like, Wife 200, like things are going well, no big problems. 201, what's the, what's the big deal? 205, 299, 325. I don't even know how you keep their names straight, let alone everything else. And there's a, there's a mistake that Solomon makes, and sometimes I do this too, where we think, well, God let me do that. That must be okay. Just because God allows you to do something doesn't mean it's okay. A great question for you to ask is, God, are you okay with what I'm spending my time, my money, my energy on? And I believe if you'll ask him that, he'll show you exactly what you should do. Take a look at verse 11. It says, So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude and you've not kept my covenant, I will most certainly tear out the kingdom from you. You see, the idols changed Solomon's attitude, which then became a pattern, which then summarized his entire rest of his life. That one thing that was started out as probably not a big deal, it was a political alliance to help our country out, became then the undoing of one of the wisest people ever to walk the face of the earth. It always starts small. If you have to justify your decisions over and over and over again, why we need the next biggest, greatest, most best thing, that's a clue that it could be an idol in your life. If you're, It's not a big deal, I just got to have this one. Now, gentlemen, I understand sometimes you have to justify lots of things to your wives, but it could be an idol. And so just be careful as you evaluate your own heart what might be the thing that could take you out. Because our families do get hit with the shrapnel of our idols. If you know anything about the nation of Israel, so for, for many years, almost 50 at least at this point, it was a united kingdom, one of the, the greatest kingdoms in, in the, the part of the world at that time, actually in the world at that time. The united kingdom, right, Jesus, or God says to Solomon, he says that I'm going to rip it out of your hand. And if you know anything about this, the undoing of Israel, the nation gets split in two, then the Assyrians come after the northern part, the Babylonians take them all out, and nothing is ever the same. But God in his grace preserves one family. If you read down to verse 13, you find out that there's one tribe that he preserves, one group of people, and that's where one day Jesus would have his earthly roots from. But the undoing of the nation of Israel comes at the expense of their most gifted, talented, wisest, smartest, best king they ever had. Which leaves me with the one scary, scary thought. If it can happen to him, it can happen to me. If it can happen to him, it can happen to me. And it can happen to you today as well. And so you may say, well, what does this have to do with my family? Well, I don't know. All I can tell you is that there's something always vying for your attention other than what should be most important. 
And it might be sports, and it might be travel, and it might be money, and it might be your spouse, it might be your kids, it might be Xbox, it might be anything. And when that gets a hold of your heart, watch out, because it will radically change and lead to more dysfunction in your family. So the question becomes, what do we do today? If we don't want dysfunction in our family, what do, what, how do we get past this? Can I tell you today, regardless of your position So mother, father, son, daughter, grandmother, grandfather, aunt, uncle, regardless of your position, the number one thing that you can do to help your family be less dysfunctional is to work on your relationship with the Lord. When you get a group of people that are committed to following Jesus and committing to to following him in ways that are pleasing to him, suddenly there's not necessarily perfection, because that's not possible, but it will lead to peace. When every single person says, I'm going to do my part to follow the Lord the best way that I can, dysfunction starts to end. Because peace can happen then. Because everybody's put the most important thing at the forefront of their lives. And so here's three ways I think you can do that today real quick as we close out our time together. Number one, Solomon knew it. He said it. He just failed to do it. Guard your heart. Number one, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. I have a proclivity for chasing things and activities. I love to just do, I just want to do something all the time. As long as I'm doing something, I'm I'm completely content. And so I have to watch myself because naturally I'll just want to keep doing something and my wife and kids are like, we just want to be together. We just want to, And I'm like, well, we could go do something. No, you don't get it. We just want to be together. And so we've got to watch ourselves, watch our hearts, because we naturally go after what we love. And there are good things, and they are okay. Nothing on stage by itself is inherently bad here today. But when it captures your heart, that's the problem. So number one, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Number two, make sure Jesus is the only thing that you worship. There are some incredibly gifted people in this world. Great pastors and thinkers and podcasts and bloggers and whatever else. And those are great people and God bless them, but they're not Jesus. And the tendency for a lot of us sometimes is to lift up people. And Maybe it's somebody you really respect, your grandmother, grandfather, your pastor growing up, or whoever you think of. And just a reminder that they're not, they're human. They're not perfect. I'm not perfect. And so please don't look to smart people or people that look like they've cleaned themselves up well. Make sure Jesus is the only thing that you worship. Can I ask you to pray for a couple people this week? Um, Just as I look out and deal with different groups of people throughout my week, um, one would be there's a family, the Denny family, the Oppie family, and the Ludlow family. They all lost their mother or grandmother this week. And so if you could be praying for them. But the, the next one would be there's college students in here. Raise your hand if you're a college student headed to school this week. Oh, come on, nice and high. Come on, there you go. Balconies full of them, and there's some more down here. Um, they're on a pursuit to increase in knowledge and to make an awesome career so that they can not live in your basement anymore. But, but make sure Jesus is the only thing you worship because you'll be tempted to chase after a whole lot of other things. And so if you could pray for those. Uh, Teachers, any teachers in the room this week? There's all kinds of teachers that have headed back. Yeah, a few of you, yes, great. Pray for them. Their sanity will be tested. 
And then there's another group of people that I've seen this happen for years, and it comes to one of those things that we don't like to talk about, especially in our culture. How many of you are empty nesters or headed to empty nesters here pretty soon? Anybody? A few of you? Good. Good. Uh, I just encourage you to pray for those people. Not only do they send their kids off to college or send their kids away to do whatever else they're doing, military, whatever, but did you know the most likely time for a couple to experience the possibility of divorce is now when their kids leave? Because they lifted their kids up as an idol, not intentionally, but just because that's what they had to do. They would spend all their time and all their effort, and suddenly they drop their kids off at college, and they look at each other, and they're like, who are you? And it wasn't intentional. And I don't think Solomon started that way either. I don't think he started and was like, let's have 700 wives. Like, the idea may have crossed his mind, but it wasn't intentional. And so if you could be praying for those people, I I had a couple come up to me earlier in the week and said, hey, we know this is potentially a problem. Will you be praying for us? I said, yeah, I'll pray for you and encourage everybody else to do the same as well. Lastly, guard your heart. Make sure Jesus is the only thing we worship. And then lastly, for years, I thought the best thing you could pray is for wisdom. The best thing you could pray is for wisdom. And and so I did that because I'm not that smart. I spent a lot of time praying for wisdom. But I think the thing that we probably need to be praying for is that we would be faithful. So I continue to pray for wisdom because I'm not that smart. But I've been struck by Solomon's life that I would be a faithful follower of Jesus, a faithful husband, a faithful father, a faithful employee, a faithful friend, a faithful coworker, a faithful whatever your position is. I think that's the only way that you'll guard against falling into the things that will absolutely obliterate your family. If you don't know what that is, ask your family. They'll tell you your idol pretty quickly. I asked mine this week. I said, what do you guys think? And they all had ideas. And so if you're, if you're struggling with that, but please don't leave here dejected. But I do hope that it does help recenter what's most important in your life. Because if you don't make that choice to recenter what's most important in your life, something else in your life will take out everything else that you've worked so hard to get. So if you would, join me as we close in prayer. Father, thank you for the chance today to look at Solomon's life. And God, we thank you for your word and how it uh, helps us understand that we are sinful and you are not. And so, Father, I just ask that today, that for whatever people have going on in their families, that God, for each person, that they would focus on their relationship with you, that they would make sure their hearts are right, and that if you get a family that everybody's trying to do that, perfection is not possible, but I do believe peace is. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help each and every family. I thank you for um, the, that you have given us family and the, all the good things that come with that. But for each and every person here today, God, I pray that you'd help them to have their hearts committed to you and you alone. God, we know we can't do this apart. We knew we can't do this part on our own. And so we're asking for your help today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.